Yes, welcome to Foreign Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play, at the game behind the game, as it were. I'm Paul Roach, and joining me on the panel, zooming in, unlocked and loaded from Melbourne, is Stephen Riley. Nice heck up there, Riles. G'day, Paul. G'day, everyone. How are you? And a good thank you. And joining me at uh, Foreign Against Mission Control is Simon Johnson. Jono, g'day. Welcome to you. Always great to be sitting next to you, Richie. Thank you very much, Jono. Uh, Riles, mate, it's, it's been a long off-season for you. How does it feel to be uh, to come out of hibernation there in, in Melbourne town? Oh, my goodness gracious me. Look, for, for those listening at home, uh, sometimes these things are delayed, but we down here in the beautiful sporting capital of the world of Victoria ha. have have had, well, we've had to live our sporting lives remotely for the last six months, and we are just coming out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, a big thank you to the Queensland government who couldn't get their act together with respect to the Indian touring cricketers and have sent a whole lot of more sport to Sydney. So uh, thank you to the Queensland uh, government there. Uh, coming up in the show, the question of taking a knee has arrived on Australian shores and questions have also arisen around the playing of the national anthem. We'll wade with some trepidation into that. A list of the world's most marketable sports properties has recently been released and we'll take a look at what's hot there. The NRL has another PR disaster on its hands as we speak. We'll talk to a PR expert on the art of cleaning up or at least hiding the mess. And, of course, we'll be finishing with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we celebrate off-field indiscretions of various kinds. Don't forget to use the hashtag RCYC if you see one of those to let us know. And uh, the social medias, you, we're on Twitter at For and Against. A little underscore after that. Don't worry about it. At For and Against. Uh, Jono, how we, remind me of Instagram and how we go on the Facebook page. Instagram's up, as you know, Rochi, and Facebook page is up. Well so done. So keep an eye out for how that do people on find the socials. Uh, for and Against. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Okay, good stuff. There you go. Well, that, that covers it. We've got that mission accomplished. It's all sorted. Oh, the email address. I forgot. If you're a bit old school, like some of us around here, for and against at hotmail.com. I think How you old a are you? Before. It might be a hashtag. Hash card. Hash card. Oh, that's, hashtag. that's a bit of a Freudian slip or something, maybe. All righty. Let's not muck around. Let's get into it. Colin Kaepernick started it all, taking a knee, an expression that has now entered the vernacular in 2016 in a protest against police brutality. This uh, largely spawned the movement labelled Black Lives Matter these days and many sports people have got on board, opting to take a knee at some appropriate point just before a sporting event to show solidarity with that cause. And now athletes in Australia are starting to do the same, or at least debating whether to do so, and it's this debate that... If you're a regular listener, you won't be surprised to hear, we find uh, somewhat intriguing. It raises two questions for me, Jono. In the Australian context, is it appropriate and is it effective? They're good questions, Rochi. Thanks, Um, Sports and politics, um, you know, for years you would have said they just don't mix at all. And I just don't think that applies anymore. There's just no doubt that uh, sports and politics are intertwined. Australia's playing catch-up, though, as you mentioned. I mean, Colin Kaepernick uh, did this a couple of years ago, at least a couple of years ago now. 2016. I think... Can you believe it? I know. And the the Adam Good saga of a few years ago raised politics um, to the forefront as well. But it's really become a big issue, hasn't it, in the past three or four months. Um, The Wallabies um, decided that that they weren't going to take a knee. Um, Nick Farr-Jones came out and said that players shouldn't, said that there was no issue with the Indigenous players... Um, Mark Eller quickly corrected him on a fairly, I think, ill, um, ill-timed statement. And ultimately, they decided not to do anything. The cricketers are doing the same, and I think that's created a lot of controversy. Michael Holdings come out and said that the Australian cricketers need to 
to um, take more of a leadership role. My personal view so, is... Sorry, they're doing the same as in they're not going to? At to this clear. stage, they're not yep. going mm-hmm. to. Um, but it's interesting because if you look at the WBBL, um, the women's players, there's a bunch of them who are taking a knee. So I think the, the Sydney Thunder are taking a knee before every game. My personal view is, yes, they should, and sport can be a vehicle for social change and that the BLM movement is really important. But I think the reality is... Um, you've got in a sporting team, you've got a bunch of individuals who are going to have different views. So it's pretty hard to mandate mm. an overall approach. What do you think, Ross? Well, I think you've got down to the hub of it right there, this idea of team versus individual. And, uh, mm. and it's interesting when we define team, I think we've uh, railed in the past against the, um, the, the mandarins who are in charge of the, the, the team sitting in, in their head office and worried about their public relations and and the like. I mean, really, when a team is standing with each other and beside each other, that's where you've got to support each other. And I'm a big believer that it's appropriate to take a knee. If you think that, then you should do that. And your team, because they're your team, should support your individual view. I I worry when the Wallabies make a uh, decision that they're all not going to do it, that, you know, this is a voting that we're going to go with the majority is, in, a, in the team. It, that, that's, that's craziness. It, it's hard though, isn't it? But back to my point about where you've got different views within that team. And the, mm. you mentioned the Wallabies, and that's the perfect example, I think. Falau obviously doesn't play in that team anymore. But you'll recall that there were times where there were rounds which were designed to support um, gay rights. or um, And Falau came out, and he was poor use of use of words there by me. Mm. Falau came out, and he said that he wasn't going to do that. And... I, I think when you've got that uh, those differing perspectives within a team, what do you do? It, mm. It's such a difficult um, thing for the sports administrators. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I hadn't, I must, I hadn't thought of that. The, the 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 individuals within a team, you act like a team, you play like a team, but is there scope for individual um, reaction differing to a particular yeah, issue? Because I look at the, um, the the collection of Formula One drivers who are not a team, are individuals, but there was, and and some do take an e before a race the others sort of stand beside them behind them in support but there isn't that uniformity there's a bit of a to-do as to whether they should all be doing it and in the end i think there's a couple of quite articulate points made that well ultimately it's your decision as to what to do and i'll make my decision i can still still support you well formula one's really interesting to me because this is this is one of the few uh sports where you still have a national anthem every single race and Mm. i i must say i'm i'm intrigued by the possibility of one day having someone who's the sole representative on that dais on the podium take a knee when his national anthem gets played you know would he do that or would he actually say i don't want you to play my national anthem and then who decides Mm. so hamilton's had that opportunity for example he's been quite vocal uh, about supporting black lives matter he's quite entrenched in that in that matter um, and he's been on the podium uh, very well. Often recently, he's been winning a lot of races, and uh, yeah, that's a good point. Has never never hinted at uh, taking a knee during the national anthem, during his national anthem, which of course is as I alluded to in my intro, is where it all started. And the whole, I mean, the idea that sports and politics don't mix, which we mentioned at the outset. I mean, it's so antiquated. Yeah, that. I mean, in this day and age. Every major player has his or her own social media um, platform. They use that platform for not only promotional purposes, but also to affect change. And if they believe in cause, causes, that, that then they're going to um, promote those causes. LeBron James being the perfect example, he's a fierce proponent of Black, Life, Black Lives Matters over in the US, and he's doing an amazing job with that. 
Yeah, I think you're spot on. But what's interesting with basketball, and LeBron James is a fantastic example, is the league can't silence him. Whereas, particularly in Australian sports, we've had a whole lot of silencing of individuals' personality, right? You can only talk about a game of two halves at the end of the game. You can't, you know, criticise referees and umpires. You know, that sort of stuff's got to go get put away. And it's really interesting because it's the big issue which is going to drive those little issues, you know, off the table. And we're going to finally get a bit more character, a bit more personality, a bit more conflict, I dare say, in, in sport. Um, but you've got to let the individuals express themselves. And can I go back to your politics in sport don't mix point, Jono, if, if we haven't already left that. That, that is an antiquated idea. That, that, uh, that's, that's a hopeful ideal coming from those who just use or view sport as an escape. Uh, and it's just, it's, an, it's, 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 it's not idealistic, it's an ideal. It's, it's hopeful, it's, it's fantasy. Because you look at it, you know, you go back as far as Ali, who was obviously quite outspoken about a few things, went to a jail because uh, went to jail for because of uh, his, his thoughts and beliefs. Um, and of course, there's the what is now becoming the famous story of, story of Australian Peter Norman, who uh, you know contr- didn't do the Black Power salute in, in on the dice in uh, Mexico in '68, but he um, wore a badge, I think, wasn't it? It's was pretty we, innocuous kind it was of part of history. Yeah, yeah, correct. So I mean, you know, the the intersection of or the collision of politics and sport has been with us for a long, long time. I'm sure you could find examples that predate that. So. You know, I think that uh, anyone who's deluded enough to think that they can be separated is is uh, yeah li- living in the long, long past, long, long past. So, do you think we should be playing the national anthem at all? I mean, why do we do it? I suspect that we do it mostly as a bit of a marketing exercise, as a rah rah exercise. I don't think it's there for actual patriotism. <laughs> well, I mean, it's point. it's quite controversial, isn't it? And this, I think, comes out of a state of origin last year or the year before. So. Um, I think it was the three or four Indigenous players in the New South Wales side, Latrell Williams, Cody Walker and Josh Adokar, they deliberately didn't sing the national anthem during the State of Origin series last year. That that created a little bit of controversy and certainly uh, caused some comments to be made that they weren't doing that. And so I think as a result of this, this year, the NRL came out and said they weren't going to have the national anthem played and it was only an intervention from ScoMo that caused um, the NRL to do a big backflip. So I think, I mean, that's a particular example. I, I don't know, Riles, whether your question is more directed, mm. generally speaking, as to whether a national anthem should be played unless you have the national teams played or, or whether it's specifically directed to the state of origin. I mean, first of all, Scotty well, from marketing is is uh, an expert at marketing, so it's no surprise <laughs> to me why he's uh, taking credit for any decision. There's your answer. Yeah. But uh, look, I think it's better to be played at national events. and And even then... I'm supportive of someone taking a knee and saying, not sure that that song represents me. It's a good point, though, Roz, about what the purpose of playing the national anthem is, if you sort of dig back deep enough, whether it's a, a trying to, to rouse the home team or it does have some sort of nationalistic um, perp, you know, political purpose. Is that is that the, the origins of it? But, I mean, you know, the, the idea of playing the national anthem at State of Origin for me is a bit of a question mark because I, I'd assumed, up until Riley asked that very interesting question, that it was it was a it was a show of patriotism. It's an us versus them. It's a symbol of us versus them, and so you only play it where the, the national where you, teams yeah play. national time exactly. So origin waste of time. Maybe grand finals. Maybe maybe event of national significance. But all the prelims and all the final series, forget about it. They're just another game of footy. They're an important game of footy, but you play it before um before international matches and maybe a grand final. That's my stand. 
I think, Scotty, from marketing's view on this was we needed to bring the country together during times of crisis uh, that we've all been through over crisis. the past seven or eight months with coronavirus, oh, et cetera. So that was how he dressed it up. But, yeah, I think we could all see through um, that cynicism. Uh, look, I think the irony of sport and politics being solved by the politician getting involved is... Uh, <laughs> it speaks for itself, but as a, as a as a country, as a representative, there you go. I've fallen into nationalism just like that. As a uh, as someone living in Victoria, where the drawbridge got pulled up, actually probably on the mm. other side of the from the other side of the moat, uh, the Murray, that is. Um, yeah, boy, we're all in it together. But I don't know that we need. Uh, maybe we need a new national anthem. Let's let's cover that next time. Oh, no, I was going to ask the very question now, actually. What do you reckon? That's that's popular well, topic that's, of conversation. That's part of the debate. Yeah, I am. You are. We are Australian. We are one and yeah. we are many. Well, whoever's going to sing it, I think we should have the same uh, African refugee who sang before the Bledisloe Cup. Oh, the how he good was, was he? Sensational. Not sure if you guys saw that, but he was damn brilliant. No, I, I fast forwarded through the national anthems. He got be, he, it was spine tingling. Hairs oh. on the back of the next The stuff. Aussie Best, national yeah. anthem. Better than Julie Anthony with oh, this. Oh, George sure? Dragon, George <laughs> the Magic Dragon. Big back call, in the day. Big Way better, call. way better. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll be very interesting to see how the the that that plays out with the uh, the gesturing to Black Lives Matter and indeed the playing of the national anthem. As we speak, the NRL has another scandal and a tenant PR disaster on its hands after Nine Media's Kate McClymont expose on the Queensland Cowboys. Um, we'll get into the sordid details. Well, perhaps then we'll avoid the sordid details, Jono, but perhaps so. just, just sort of set the scene before we bring our expert in to have a bit of a chat about it. Yeah, sure, Richie. So a big article appeared in the uh, Nine Press on the weekend. Um, pretty unfortunate story. Without going into those details that you mentioned, it involves, I think, infidelity, the prescription of, uh, sorry, illegal uh, prescribing of prescription drugs and the integrity unit being involved. It's all pretty grubby and pretty unfortunate, but um, it's really interesting to see how the North Queensland Cowboys have dealt with this. So all the usual suspects there are being involved in the scandal, just a few good ones there. Indeed, sex, drugs and... You know, rugby league. Rock and roll. Kind of rock and roll, yeah. And, and rugby, rugby league. league, yeah. Sex and drugs and rugby league. <laughs> That's right. Brilliant, Steve. Uh, so joining us now to discuss the ins and outs of public relations in sport is Amanda Bull, who's a public relations consultant, also a lecturer at the University of Technology in Sydney in the area of public relations and sport. Amanda, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Now, Amanda, without delving too far into the, any further than Jono already has into the sordid details of this specific case, tell me, what's the first lever a PR professional pulls when confronted with a disaster like this sort of blossoming before his or her eyes? Well, um, ideally, you hope that the organisation has a crisis management plan in place. That's number one. So ideally, what happens is that they try to mitigate any crisis by, you know, managing their issues in inverted commas. And as we know with the NRL, their issues tend to, uh, you know, continually grow around sex scandals or, or you know, other, you know, a, a salary scandals. So ideally, it is about having that crisis management plan in place. Now, whether or not that plan is effective and managed effectively, you know, has to be questioned. So we can see in this case currently that the Cowboys are playing what we call a, a limited, trying to limit that exposure of the um, uh, 
current issue. So uh, they would have, you know, a press release come out, but currently we see there's no press release that's come out to kind of manage the issue at all. There's just a statement, a generic statement on the Cowboys website that just says club statement. So they're just trying to mitigate the issue to put it on the down low until, you know, the crisis ultimately grows, which it will do because we're only within, what, 24 hours of it having been released or or maybe 36 hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's still in its early stage of its, let's say, life cycle. So a crisis will have a life cycle. So as a PR person, you want to make sure that you're managing through that life cycle of that crisis as it grows and try to limit the level of exposure that you're going to get cut across media. And I would have thought, Amanda, I mean, as you say, this is early stages, but Kate, McClymont of uh, Nine Media. She's like a dog with a bone with these sorts mm. of things, and I'm sure the story won't go away. So it'll be interesting to see how it does play out. What what would be the next steps as far as a PR consultant? Are you, are you looking at brand protection or looking at the interests of sponsors or stakeholders, or, or where does it fall next? Well, there'd be a lot of discussions going on in the background. So, for example, that we wouldn't be privileged you know, to to see or or know what's going on. So at the moment, yes, as a PR professional, you'd be on the phone uh, bringing in your um, key stakeholders. You'd be, um, you know, understanding the issue. You'd be trawling through and, you know, actually writing the crisis plan as you go. You'd be looking at the evidence um, to see which way you can go. Like what we argue is that we use strategies like apologia, for example, and an apologia strategy means that um, effectively you're in a defensive mode, you're managing that crisis. So at the moment, like I said, with the Cowboys, they're just not putting any context around the issue. They're putting no names to the issue. They're putting no dates to the issue and they're putting no actions to the issue. So, All the background work, the conversations with key stakeholders, the players, would be, um, you know, going on. So we won't hear about that just yet. Because what is interesting with NRL and particularly with sport, um, you know, sport is a, a unique product in that all the messages and the images of sport are conveyed through media coverage. So it's not like an advertising campaign that we see with sports. So usually what we see is that anything that's going to come out is going to come out through third-party media sources. So the Cowboys in the NRL are sitting tight at the moment. No conversation. Even if you look currently on the um, NRL site, there is no news or media release on this issue whatsoever. So it's status quo, as they would say, status quo. Don't talk, don't negotiate. And and you see certain bits of content will come out and be fed to media along the way. So, um, yeah, at the moment, if you saw the Channel 9, did you see the Channel 9 little promo on it, the video piece? Interestingly, Cowboys are saying that they, you know, put out, um, for example, they actually went to the uh, alleged victim to get further information. They hadn't come forward. Um, The Cowboys had gone back to the alleged victim uh, six times to get their comment and they hadn't yet got any feedback from them. So they're basically playing this apology, a push away, mitigate, limit exposure, um, and basically trying to reestablish some kind of credibility around the brand, build, you know, keep the reputation intact. 
And I think that's the role they're playing at the moment until it really does blow, and if it does blow. Amanda, Amanda, if, if we were watching primetime TV, right, there'd be, you know, someone would come in and say, we need to own the narrative, we need to lead this story. But it sounds to me like this is a little bit the opposite. You want to take the wind out of the story. You want, uh, if anyone's going to make it something more significant, you're going to leave all the hard work to the journalist. Is that a, a, a fair Fair summary? Well, it could be, and I suppose it's just a strategy they would take. So, you know, let it run. Let's see what comes out. Because at the moment, I think what's happening is that the husband, the alleged uh, woman in... Yeah, the truck driver. It's his lawyer that's trying to run the narrative and push the narrative forward. Um, So what they're doing is just letting that sit to see how it plays until, you know, maybe another media outlet might run with it. So if you just have a look, for example, at that club statement that they've got on their website, it's the Cowboys, it's actually saying very little. All it is, it just says at the moment, you know, North, what is it, North Queensland Cowboys are aware of a serious allegations published in the Sydney Morning Herald today. The club is providing its full support to the parties involved as their well-being is of the utmost importance. As the NRL is currently investigating the allegation, it is not appropriate for the club or the connected parties to make any further comment. So basically, yeah, they're just sitting on it. So don't, nobody talk, nobody say anything. Let's just see how this plays out. All that negotiations would be going on in the background. They'd probably be bringing in the truck driver husband, trying to, you know, mitigate any, you know, bad press he's going to put out there, some kind of, you know, negotiation, you know, contractual negotiation will be going on. They don't want stuff out there at all in the media. They really just want to keep it on the down low to the main parties. And plays, but that will mean they will be reassuring key stakeholders in the relationship. So all their sponsors, they just don't want it. They want to, you know, keep it in that bubble, that NRL bubble. (laughs) Jono, if I heard Amanda correctly, I think she just suggests that lawyers are glorified PR people. Do you have any comment on that? Outrageous. (laughs) I was going to I was going to ask Amanda whether the lawyers would be in the background. There's no doubt they uh, they obviously would be. I mean, there's allegations of the drugs being prescribed illegally, and you mentioned some negotiations. I think that's code for, um, you know, buying the truck driver off or you know potentially buying his silence. So I'm sure the lawyers would be involved in that by the sounds of things. I'm sure they would because I mean it is about maintaining the reputation. Maintaining, I think, the social and ethical responsibility of the club is really important. Um, it's, you know, maintaining that loyal fan base. So the less you can talk about it at this stage in the life cycle of the crisis, which is early days, the better. And also you want to stack your narrative a bit. So they'd be pulling in journalists that they have good, you know, favour with and having those conversations with those journalists off the record, let's say. And then, you know, because you just saw that Channel 9 piece was really interesting, that there was a pushback on the victim uh, or the alleged um, person who was assaulted in that they were, you know, the club had tried to contact them, but yet they weren't willing to come forward. They tried for four months and they'd sent six emails. So, you know, they, they're running this, uh, you know, kind of apologia approach, but at the same time, what we call victimage, they're putting it back on to try and put the blame elsewhere currently. So that might be next part of the strategy we might see. 
put the blame elsewhere. So we'll have, you know, blips of, you know, uh, you know, managing the discourse or managing the narrative, you know, out in those little subsections or those little bubbles. Take it away from this particular example. Um, I'm, in, I'm intrigued about the dynamics, especially from the point of view of the player, because surely the player and the player's manager and the player's lawyer all know that the club and the league uh, want to do everything they can to minimise the story, quiet the story, stretch the story out so that, oh, who knows, the US election, you know, takes away all the coverage in the papers. Um, so is, is there a game of chicken that goes on here on behalf of the player? And if the, the more famous the player, the more likely they are to be playing chicken? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the moment, we don't know who the player is. So it's still, you know, keep it keep it quiet. Don't put any names out there. Um, yes, we can say it's a high-profile player. But because I think from a litigious point of view, a legal point of view, there's so many actors involved. So not only have you got the club, the management, but you've got the player and his team, well, the player and his own management so there's a lot of parties that have to be, you know, negotiated. So, yeah, they'd all be sitting around playing out a, a crisis management strategy at the moment of just stop. We don't do anything. We just, you know, get all the parties in behind closed door, have a conversation, see what we can manage. And then out of that, hmm. they would write a, a strategy and then come out with a media release or a press release or, or a conversation or, 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 you know, what, what narrative they want to put forward next so they'd be planning their next step but definitely there'd be that negotiation going on behind the scenes so yes definitely you'd be looking at what's happening in the media landscape what can certainly cause that you know um clutter to be you know or noise factor out there that might you know create a lot of noise above your issue so that will be good for them on one level so let's sit tight Let's, you know, ride through the presidential election. Let's hope it goes, you know, under the radar and see where we go until our next step is planned. But, yeah, it, it, it is a nasty one because, yeah, for them, I think. And lastly, you talked, Amanda, about the, the lifestyle of these things, and I think you've kind of addressed uh, already where, where it might end up or, or how, how a typical instance like this ends up. A life cycle. Sorry, thank you. Beg your pardon. Um, so is that is there a relatively constant or predictable cycle that each scandal goes through? Uh, is, it, is it just the actual incident that's the differentiator and everything just basically goes to the same process? Or are there a few different strategies that can be adopted and um, in, depending on what the, the, the incident is? Well, I suppose, one, it's the incident, how serious the incident is, all right, how, it's, you know, each party wants to play the incident out. All right, so whether or not the truck driver wants to keep going and his lawyer wants to keep getting media traction on it and keep pushing it. But it's usually like the cycle is born. It goes through that growth stage where, you know, all that information is collected to try and mitigate it, to try to limit the exposure. It goes through like a maturity cycle where it's at the pointy end where it's a make or break. Um, and it also, you know, and then it can, you know, die away. But it'll depend on, you know, is there push coming from other media sources that will affect, um, you know, the actual issue? So will the NRL then decide to really take it seriously? All right. Will they then run a particular angle on it and want to, you know, it depends on the seriousness, yeah, of the issue. 
is this just another sec are we you know how are fans and the audiences out there are they blase about another sex scandal in the you know NRL we've had so many scandals you know is this just another one and they'll be putting their feelers out to see what's happening with fans what they're feeling like they'll be looking at their social media sites to see if there's any blowback there so, yeah, it'll mm. escalate and then it could, you know, just die off. But it depends on all those parties involved. It's not as cut and dry as just, you know, it'll live for a 24 news cycle, uh, you know, 24 hour news cycle and be gone. And listener, Amanda, Amanda's on Zoom with us. What you can't see is the beautiful sort of lift up with her hand as if she's going over a big, up a big roller coaster and down a big roller coaster the other side. <laughs> Amanda, Amanda, that's been really interesting. Thank you for shedding uh, some very interesting uh, insights and light onto the the life cycle of of a sporting scandal. Thanks very much for joining us. That's my pleasure. Anytime. Amanda Bullers, a PR consultant and lecturer at UTS in the field of public relations and sport with, as I say, some very interesting insights uh, into sports scandals. One thing I learned is that all because you don't hear anything doesn't mean they don't know what to do. It's actually a deliberate strategy to just shut the heck up. A lot going on in the background. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. All right, well, good luck to all you uh, people involved in scandals, and uh, I'm sure you're keeping Amanda very, very busy. Recently, Sports Pro released its World's 50 Most Marketable Properties. It's an interesting array of clubs, leagues, and events. It uh, purportedly provides sponsors with the opportunity to assess the reach and impact potential of, pro- of these sporting properties, apparently. And uh, bear with me here. It compares them based on seven metrics, engagement, intensity, momentum, passion, excitement, purchase consideration and favorability remember you're supposed to be viewing them in the context of being a marketing professional most likely uh, survey of 250 odd thousand people studied studies perceptions across 18 of the largest uh, markets worldwide to determine people's behaviors and emotions towards 185 different global sports properties isn't that lucky we have two marketing professionals on this podcast today you know, you, Rochi, and BD, and, and Riles. Oh, okay. You know, you did yeah. some marketing back in the day. What does this mean, <laughs> this thing? I read the article. Honestly, what does it mean? What I took out of it was oh, yeah. it is something to do with what are the most valuable sporting teams or organisations. There's a whole bunch of soccer teams on there. Yeah. Um, not surprisingly, the World Cup's number one. Mm-hmm. But, but what do we take out of it? I'd love to know. Riles, have you got any pearls of wisdom? Well, insights? yeah, it's, it's good that we have uh, an expert lawyer in the house as well because, you know, he can define whether uh, this, all of this stuff is uh, worth the uh, electronic paper. Don't deflect, Riles. Answer yeah. the question. <laughs> Look, this is all about money. It's not electronic. Didn't you hear the, didn't you hear the authentic, authentic rustling of paper that John <laughs> just went through as he talked about the list <laughs> with some disdain? I'm old school. This is all about money. This is all about the sports being able to attract the sponsors. So the FIFA World Cup sitting there, number one, because it's got reach, it's got cut through, it's got the ability to inspire, it's got the ability to draw eyeballs. So when, you know, your average soft drink company or your, um, you know, uh, leisure goods company, clothing company, beer company is trying to figure out where to put their cash, where to put their marketing dollar, they look at stuff like this and they say, right, FIFA World Cup number one, Summer Olympics, which surprises me at number two. And I'll tell you a couple of other things that mm. surprise me is just how many individual teams actually rate mm. 
mm. above the actual sports. You know, Real Madrid was number four, Barcelona number five, uh, Man, Man United number nine, Liverpool number 11. You know, the Premier League itself was only number 10. And I don't know where La Liga is, down the page somewhere. Fascinating. Why did, why did the Summer Olympics surprise you being number two, Steve-O? I, I, I this is really interesting given the earlier conversation about patriotism. I feel like the Olympics is jumping the shark. I think it feels outdated. They keep trying to ramp to jazz it up with some really cool new sports like skateboarding and Tickets. ballroom dancing. And, uh, and I think they miss. I think they miss. And I think the Olympics also suffers from the fact that we have content overload. In years gone by, it was free-to-air free to TV, and you'd have one TV channel which would show all of the Olympics, and you didn't have other options. Whereas now you've got so many different things to watch or stream or see that it's hard for the Olympics to cut through in the same way that it did before. Steve, very disappointed that you haven't already raised the presence of WWE, um, Theatre Sports on Steroids, at number 21. Number Theater 21, Sports my friend, I know. I just wanted to save that up because, you know, first of all, it, it shows <laughs> that it is a meaningful spot. I didn't notice supercars anywhere on the list, Paul. This is, uh, you know, uh, this is wrestling. You notice they call it Formula wrestling. Formula 1 at 14. <laughs> Oh, did they? I did see ping pong or table, table tennis, tennis at 25. You know? Table tennis championships. Well, again, it's about reach. Uh, clearly... It's about different markets, right? This is, you know, yeah, it's got absolutely. big, uh, high population markets, mostly in Asia, um, who want to watch and pay for that stuff. I'll tell you the interesting one for me, which is um, really interesting because free-to-air TV, even cable TV, hasn't gone here yet. And that's number 12, which is League of Legends, which is... Uh, yeah. It's it's a computer game. Esports. Esports. Yeah. And I think there's one at one at forty one as well from memory. It says scrolling feverishly. Yeah, Call of Duty League at forty one. So um the arrival of uh, of esports. But these as, are being broadcast the, on of. you know online streaming services. So things like Twitch, which Amazon bought for a gazillion dollars, and you think I'm exaggerating, but no, that's a technical term. Mm, nope. as, yep. <laughs> that because that's what people want to watch. This is based purely on the numbers. Interesting. And even the Special Olympics at 49 yeah. made the list. It was, awesome. It was an interesting one. Um, yeah, well, look, I mean... I'm happy to be proved wrong there. I mean, I, I think that's a persuasive summary of, uh, of the list. Yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, exercise. Like that. Yeah. yeah. i tell you one that surprised an, me about an how low it was, list. was the IPL. I, I was really surprised. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it goes to... Um, it, it says something about international markets still. The cricket despite having over a billion religious devotees, is still only played in half a dozen countries, whereas something like yep. table tennis, uh, football, football is all over the list. It's actually the world game. And the Cricket World Cup was 33. Roz, I couldn't find IPL. Is that outside the 50? Uh, 38. Oh, I beg your pardon. Okay, well, She's below in, table tennis. Interesting of itself. Extraordinary. Well, there's 1.6 billion in China and only 1.1 billion in India. It's Fair comment. QED. All right, folks, so that was the world's most marketable sports properties, uh, an annual list and an inaugural version of the annual list. Um, maybe we'll revisit in 12 months' time and see what's changed. Uh, on to the shootout now where we cover a couple of uh, other topics in a uh, very quick, quick format. Uh, the U.S. election. Been is there running, a US election? Been run and won, apparently. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm not sure if you saw that. It was in some papers somewhere, Jono. Right. 
Um, what do you make of all that? There's a good sporting contest once every four years. It's it's a fairly marketable contest. I would have thought the sponsors should be all over that. Yeah, true. Now, what I, lots of eyeballs what around I, the world. What I take out of it is a bunch of nearly 80-year-olds, two nearly 80-year-olds duking, duking it out to be leader of the free world. There are some sporting parallels, Rochi. Are there? There really are. Wow. So Tell me more. Age and experience is right. important. So you look at Cameron Smith, nearly 40, <laughs> Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. Were they going for you 40. as president? No, but they're old and they're experienced and they're still at the top of their game. They're younger than me, mate. They're not that old. Sorry, it's all comparative, Rachie. Tom Brady, over 40. LeBron James, about to turn 36. Did Tim Payne. Do you know Brady's 43 or something? Is he? God, he looks good for 43. What was Tim Payne? He's near, about to turn 36. Yeah. And Tiger Woods, 43 and won the US Masters last year. So, age and experience. There's hope for us yet, Rachie. That's what I take out of it. Okay. Well, I, I th- Riles, have you got anything better than that? I hope you do. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think this is uh, this has sport uh, all over it, and and a little bit of reality TV, which of course you'd expect with Donald Trump. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, mm. no matter what the result, people being able to use his apprentice phrase "You're fired." But it actually <laughs> reminds me of uh, a YouTube boxing match that was held in the last year. Uh, some of you, not you two. But some of our listeners might know that Logan Paul, he's a bit of a ne'er-do-well shock jock of YouTube, got himself into a, you know, a little bit of uh, verbal fisticuffs with uh, KSI and they decided that they wanted to uh, you know, throw down in a boxing ring. They were able to fill a stadium. They, were, they had one of the highest rating boxing events um, of the year last year. It's just like that. It's just like well, I th- yeah, Biden and Trump did say in their, one of the, some of their most recent campaign stops that they wanted to take each other on or beat each other up. So I can see it, Rops. <laughs> that would be amusing. And any, anything, that that's, be amusing. <laughs> anything that's covered by Ladbrokes now counts as a sport. It's a sport. Oh, there is a big statement which we do not have time to explore. I disagree with you, Riles. Save that one for next show, perhaps. Um, the grand finals have been run and won. The footy grand finals of the NRL and the, uh, the Aussie rules I'm referring to. Um, I'm not coping well still with the night grand final. I hope that's a one oh, for really? the Aussie rules, obviously. Yeah. I was okay with it, but I think we most importantly should get Ralph's feedback, being the uh, Melbourne. Why is, why is that you? most important? Well, he's, he's based he's in Victoria. The same voice yeah. as the rest of us. He does. But, but go on, Ralph. What do you want? Well, what do you got to say? Uh, as the spokesperson for the sporting capital of the world. Um, <laughs> Uh, look, I'm a bit torn on this because I am absolutely, completely, 175% against a night grand final. I think it goes against the traditions of the sport. I, I think it takes it away Good. from the kids. But the ratings were mm. sensational. So it's going to be really interesting to see who gets to make the call on this next year. This is the highest rating mm. uh, AFL grand final in four years. It blew away last year. I think part of that is that there were two Victorian teams, ironically the first uh, all-Victorian yep. grand final in nine years. So I think that helped. But it, it, it had more than one and a half million more viewers than the NRL grand final. The AFL is going to be hard-pressed to give up this time slot. That is a lot because they were on a par from memory last year. They were very, very close. And it shows, you know, we've managed to survive and thrive during COVID times. I think the ratings were 30% up for AFL and 12% up for the NRL grand final decider. So maybe we're just starved for sport and we'll watch anything right now. Yeah, look, what settled it for me, well, I already had my opinion that I uh, just enunciated earlier anyway, but someone put put it succinctly, something along the lines of um, the difference between a day grand final and a night grand final is that a night grand final 
you spend the day waiting for the night grand for the grand final as opposed to the day being a, 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 cel- a full of celebration of the grand final and having the grand final and then you got the evening to celebrate the grand final this is true although it does build up some expectation well, having a nighttime grand final well just more expect just yeah. time shifted expectation too much expectation. Better yeah. for TV. I reckon it'll happen, Rochi. Oh, that's, that's my concern, which is why I feel the need to be very strident in my objection to it, because I know Gil listens. <laughs> um, should we come back with? Should we come back with the shootout? Red card, yellow card. Shall we come back with red card, yellow card? Yes, Red Card, Yellow Card, our favourite part of the show where we love picking apart some misdemeanours of sports folk off the field of play and uh, putting them back in the spotlight where um, Amanda, Amanda Bull, our PR consultant from earlier in the show, would like them not to be, but um, that's her job, this is our job. Jono, have you got a good Red Card, Yellow Card nomination for us? I think so, Rochi, and Amanda would love to be employed by the LA Dodgers Major League Baseball team this week, I reckon. So picture this, Major League Baseball playoffs, Dodgers v Tampa Bay Rays. Sport doesn't really get much bigger than this. The Dodgers had been cruelly robbed of the World Series twice in the past three years. The MLB had managed to survive a bubble, a COVID bubble, and had their season proceed pretty much (sighs) incident-free. Kind, uh, kind of, but go kind on. Kind of. Mm. And it's through the strictest of security protocols. No one had apparently tested positive for about two months or so. Then they come to the what proved to be the final game of the World Series. It's in the eighth innings, and the Dodgers' third baseman, Justin Turner, was suddenly removed from the game. The commentators are saying, I wonder why Justin Turner's been removed from the game, but no official announcement was made. It comes out afterwards that everyone on both sides had been given a COVID test before the game. They were having daily tests, but for whatever reason, there was a delay in the results. So that's obviously one major stuff up that the mm. results came in during the game and he tested positive. So apparently his first test tested positive during the fourth innings. And they said, <sighs> well, we better get his second test. They did the B sample. Get the B sample. And that came back during the eighth innings. That came, I think the first test was um, on the borderline and they said, let's have a look at the second. And the second was definitely positive. So they said get him off the field straight away. So they pulled him off the field in the eighth innings. It's, sorry, point of order in baseball, it's inning. Sorry, this is inning, annoying sorry. me a little bit. Sorry, yeah, go on. Inning. No, carry on. And so the Dodgers go on to win the game. There are wild celebrations. Justin Turner's obviously off the pitch at this point. However, cameras pan to these wild celebrations <laughs> on the pitch. There is Justin Turner, and it's hard to miss him. He's got this bright red beard, long red hair. Go the ginger. And... He's celebrating wildly with his team, mask off. He's giving his wife a kiss. And to top it all off, he's giving a big hug to the manager of the team (laughs) who 10 years earlier was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So as another general manager tweeted, a super spreader event on live TV, 2020, it doesn't get much better, does it? (laughs) I tell you what, they are so lucky that they won the game. Right, because that finished the series four two to the Dodgers. If if the Rays had made a comeback, and that's what they did all year, if they'd made a comeback and won that mm. game, and it was three three, they'd have had to cancel or couldn't cancel, I imagine, postpone Game Seven of the World Series. But they're all close contacts. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, wowzers! Did you see it was a Game Four? I think where there's a miracle play on the last. Yeah, you didn't see it. Huh? Was no. yeah, yeah. yeah, two runs that shouldn't have been there. It was game Four. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. It was uh, yeah, baseball. Google, is best. Ha- yeah, do a search. Worth worth your worth your time, Jono. Do a search for the last sixty seconds of Game Four. I'll do that. It's amazing. 
I watched I've watched about seven or eight times. Steve O, what have you got, mate? Look, uh, oh, we went straight red for obviously Mr. Turner. Yeah? I think it's red. Straight red. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Sorry, mate. Look, I, I think it's ironic. You know, after we've had Amanda on the program talking about just how uh, consistent a provider of red card, yellow card candidates rugby league is, I have. A tennis example. Uh, Boris Becker, Boom Boom Becker, is my wow. nomination because the poor guy is, um, well, he's fighting bankruptcy charges, right? He, he's, he's got a legal thing going on with uh, a private bank. He may or may not owe them many, many, many dollars. And so he's had to, over the last couple of years, um, auction off some of his stuff and and, and prove his, uh, that he can't repay some of his debts. Uh, in the past, he's... Um, he sold his U.S. Open trophy. But just in the last week, it turns out that he can't find his Wimbledon trophies. Uh, they're just gone, Your Honour. <laughs> your, your Honour, I don't know where I put them. Um, I just can't find them anyway. They were here so, a moment ago. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Boris. Right, so that, we need to, what are you insinuating there, Riles? Or maybe we should stop right there. Um, so what are you suggesting? From a card point of view, I don't want to get drawn into anything. You might get you in legal trouble. <laughs> I don't know where Yellow? to put the word allegedly. That yeah, it usually gets uh, gets someone out of trouble, I guess. But uh, I I'm I'm going for a straight red because the poor guy, not the poor. Maybe it's oh. yellow. I mean, he was a the seventeen year old yeah, Wimbledon winner. It was a long time ago when he won that trophy. It could could be anywhere. It's a hell of a long time. That's a good point. Yellow, giant. Yeah, probably. Has yeah, he okay. looked in his closet? For oh. it? Ooh. Uh, last show, moving right along, last show, Riles nominated the SCG as his nomination for their new mascot. Well, I'm going a bit south. I'm returning serve. <laughs> now I'm nominating the MCG for an act of pure desperation and insecurity. Uh, listen, we'll probably know that um, they, they ripped up, ripped up, extracted two pieces of turf measuring three metres by one metre from the MCG in the early or mid part of October stuck it in a refrigerated truck, a temperature-controlled truck, to ship it up to the Gabba, to lay it down on the Gabba as part of the turf for the grand final. So a little part of the hello turf of the MCG was up there for the Aussie Rules grand final. Just beautiful, evocative. Oh, it's romantic, it's lovely. And it's, a, it's that's, the that's only thing insecurity. that gave that, uh, that legitimised that grand final. It's the only reason why you might be able to you know, make that asterisk a little bit smaller. Yeah. And it's the only reason why the Vic diehards can still call it a VFL grand final. Because yeah, yeah. there's that little bit of Victoria up there. Dear, dear. I'm giving, I'm giving the MCG a yellow card. And anyone else that was involved. Outrageous. Um, fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and that brings to a conclusion, Red Card, Yellow Card, and in doing so, brings a conclusion to the show. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Stephen Riley. Goodbye. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, ball boys. And fare thee well, Simon Johnson. Jono, thanks for your company as always. See you, Reggie. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, you can get us on the socials. Basically, just search for and against uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, what's the other one? Facebook, Facebook now. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm, I'm still getting used to that, John. We have a Facebook page. Well done. KPIs ticked. Uh, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks again for joining us. We'll do it again next month. Until then, it's bye for now.